0: Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the multi award winning show for travelers by travelers. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Today, we explore America's heritage through the words of a legendary actor the travels of a Harley riding American history TV show host and the stories of an iconic plantation deep in the American South if you want a living history lesson or two then today's world footprint show is just for you
2: thanks to your Stan Ellsworth the Harley riding host of BYU TV's American Ride has been making friends all across America for several years as he rides his motorcycle across America and serves up some history lessons along the way. With Season 7 of American Ride set to debut, we caught up with Stan and his crew on the streets of Baltimore to get a sneak peek into the upcoming season of American Ride and to see what Stan has been up to since his last appearance on World Footprints.
3: Well, Independence Hall is definitely one of no. okay. You know, and, and the work that went on there that really laid the groundwork for all freedom for all people
4: okay
3: and again reaching out to other nations because if it if it applies only to Americans, then we didn't do our
2: job called the grand dama plantations of louisiana's great river road oak alley plantation in Vacherie, louisiana midway between new orleans and baton rouge harkens back to a bygone southern era when a powerful creole family built a great fortune on the backs of slaves Amid the splendor of its 300-year-old oak trees, this plantation has stood the test of time, and now its stories have been preserved for all to see and hear, as we discovered on a visit to Louisiana with the help of Oak Alley docent Cindy Ordineau.
5: And, of course, their meals were prepared by this place, and at that time they were cooking over an open plate, and it is one of the reasons that the kitchen... Was never attached to the big house. But there was a second reason for that, in that it also kept the heat out of the home as well.
2: Finally, acting legend Hal Holbrook catches up with us to discuss the documentary Holbrook Twain, An American Odyssey, which chronicles Holbrook's portrayal of Mark Twain for more than a half century. Directed by Scott Teens, this documentary, inspired by Hal's late wife, actress Dixie Carter, Holbrook brings to life the profound insights Twain had into the human condition as well as the toll it took on his family life. Hal Holbrook joins us to talk about this powerful documentary
6: that sheds light on his life through his portrayals of Mark Twain. Well, I, am, I have impersonated Twain since 1954. It was my first time out, but I really didn't start working at it a lot till 1956.
2: We hope you'll enjoy a bit of Americana on today's show. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Stan Ellsworth, the Harley riding host of BYU TV's American Ride, has been making friends all across America for several years as he rides his motorcycle across America and serves up some history lessons along the way. With Season 7 of American Ride set to debut, we caught up with Stan and his crew on the streets of Baltimore to get a sneak peek into the upcoming season of American Ride and to see what Stan has been up to since his last appearance on World Footprints. We're here with Stan Ellsworth on the streets of Baltimore. Actually, we are in front of Baltimore City Hall, and we catch up with Stan Ellsworth, the host of American Ride, which you can catch on BYU TV. Stan is here in Baltimore and the Maryland D.C. area for preparations for Season 7 of American Ride. Stan, welcome to World Footprints. Well, welcome back to World (laughs) Footprints. Yeah. It's always good to see you, man. You have such an incredible presence. You are one of the best persons we've ever had, finest guests we've ever had on uh, World Footprints, and it's so good to see you, man. Ian, you're too
3: kind. I love you guys. <laughs> we've had a, a good relationship with that dinner. We Here we are in the streets of Baltimore yeah. talking about crab cakes and mix. <laughs> This is fantastic. You know, it's a beautiful city, and uh, it's great to catch up with you guys again. Thank you very much.
2: Now, tell us about this whirlwind trip that has taken you from our nation's capital, and has brought you north to Baltimore, some 35 miles from uh, D.C. Talk to us about uh, what brings you to town. Let me, let me start with Season 7,
3: okay. which is a little bit of a departure, because the last time we talked, we were mm-hmm. just beginning a linear trip through American history, mm-hmm. starting with the discovery, colonization, all the pluses and minuses, the good, the bad, the, the ugly, the things we need to fix, the things we did great. And then right after World War II, we looked at each other and said, you know, there's a lot of stories that just because we were having to speed through history, we had to skip.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: so we've started, now we're going back and we're going to pick up a lot of those stories. And season seven actually begins down in Key West, Florida, ah, and then we're driving up A1A along that mm-hmm. coast, stopping in Miami and visiting with a lot of the Cuban culture down there. Going to West Palm Beach and learning about Henry Flagler, Skip Disneyland, shucks, <laughs> <laughs> but you know we went by went by Daytona to the largest Harley Davidson dealership in the world, oh right there. And we went to St. Augustine and talked about Juan Ponce de Leon really wasn't the poster child for gullibility he didn't show up in Florida looking for the fountain of youth. but then we went to Savannah Charleston, and
4: Charleston mm. you know, we, we
3: call those the bells of the south mm-hmm. those are the two cities that really represent and maintain the, you know, the style and the grandeur of, of the old south mm-hmm. and we talked about the way society down there has changed and how even though they went through a period of darkness now Savannah and Charleston are finding a rebirth in, in a day of light when all their people are working together to build these cities something fantastic right. and they're beautiful towns and then we went up to Beaufort North Carolina which I don't know if you guys uh. knew this they they found Blackbeard's flagship out yeah. there uh. so we were doing our the pirates, our pirates. <laughs> it were tons of fun. and you know we went to DC talking about the, the great ideals mm-hmm. and ideas yeah. that that founded our nation and you know the people that live right there amongst all these great monuments and and you know, just the great spirit that's there. But mm-hmm. here we are in Baltimore talking about the all-American city. You know, because Baltimore has been around since before the founding of the nation. This is one of the principal cities of the eastern seaboard. Mm-hmm. And Baltimore was one of the main ports. Right. problem is Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. Big plus, big minus. Yeah. You know, accessibility mm-hmm. was important when it was the days of sale. You know, the ships were looking for that protected harbor, and the Chesapeake Bay, by and large, offered protection to those cargo ships mm-hmm. from the big Atlantic storms. But now that we sail steel ships that are, you know, five, six, ten times bigger than the ships to sail, mm-hmm. eh, they don't need that much protection. They can sail right into New York, right up the Delaware to Philly, and it works just fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things change. Yeah. But we're finding out that Baltimore is really having... A, an inner city renaissance, an urban renewal mm-hmm. that's really cool to watch.
1: What have you seen since you've been here, Stan? I mean, differently. Because you, you come this way every year. What, and, and you come this way every year because there's a lot here. There's a lot to discover. What have you found on this trip that has surprised you or
3: intrigued you? You know, in Baltimore specifically, the things that that have intrigued me are just seeing how built up Mm-hmm. The harbor has become in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, you go downtown now, and it, it's great. You know, the big walking spaces, the hotels, the restaurants, mm-hmm. the, the, the taverns, the Bubba Gump right down
4: there. <laughs> you know, how right. can yeah. you go
3: wrong? Right. But, no, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And to see, really, the rebirth of sport in Baltimore. Because yeah. I know that Baltimoreans, sports is a big deal. You know, it's a, oh, yeah. it's, by, historically, it's a blue-collar city. Mm-hmm. And so athletics is going to be really important. And so seeing the Ravens do better, you know, for a long time after '87, won't say their name, but they took the team down, uh, down 70.
4: Yeah,
3: irritated everybody. Still does. Still does. Still it does. That's right. Day, uh, you never Don't pick the scab; it'll still bleed. <laughs> but yeah, you know. But now Art model brings the Ravens in, yeah. and, and and it is. It's it's been part of the rebirth mm-hmm. of Baltimore. And seeing the Orioles have had a tough go for a while. Oh yeah. But now look at them; they're coming back. They're, they're being the franchise they used to be. It's cool to watch. It's cool to see the spirit that that brings to the city.
2: Stan, I honestly hope that the people with the Convention and Visitors Bureau hooked up with you because that was the best sales pitch for Baltimore that I've heard in quite some time, hey, man. Well, don't get me. Get <laughs> Ray Lewis. <That> guy could, <laughs> well, he's incredible. He's left us. Yeah. Oh, is he, is he in
3: Miami or is he down he, Florida he, again? He,
1: uh, he's on ESPN and uh, wherever else. And I you know, think he'll always
3: have us. a yeah. part of his heart.
2: The leaves yeah. purple in black. Yeah. Now, now, Stan, as uh, you prepare for this Season 7, you've traveled right up the coast pretty much from I-95, and you touched on Baltimore. What about the time in Washington? What what, what can viewers look forward to with respect to your your Washington
3: day? You know, in, in Washington, we, we dealt a lot with the ideas and ideals hmm. that not only created the American nation, but we express the thought that freedom is the desire and hope of every human heart. And, you know, it's impossible to look back in time and look at 18th and 19th century people with our 20th and 21st century morality, but with our 20th and 21st century perception, you know, we need to be more active in affecting real change. Not just words, not just politeness, but in really changing the bedrock of society. To be inclusive, to be equal, Mm -hmm. to drop the very words that create division.
1: Stan, I'm I'm so happy that you're entering your seventh season now, and you're continuing to go forward. Remember the last time you talked, we asked you, you know, about your your beginning and and how you how this has come about for you, and and you mentioned a story. Um, About a person A guy in Baltimore Or not Baltimore I beg your pardon In Boston
3: That ran into
1: you And said Hey What's the guy in a Harley know (laughs) Do you remember that story I
3: do remember that We were We were at the 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 monument For the battle Of Bunker Hill Which actually was fought On Breeds Hill But we'll call it Bunker Hill Everybody knows it But anyway This guy's You know He's like Hardcore Southie Riding around On the lawnmower And he comes up And he goes Hey Hey, what's a guy on a holly know about history? And then we talked for a minute. And he goes, Oh, is that what he knows? Wow. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that, that was so hilarious.
1: Are you still getting that type of response from people? You know
3: what's funny? We get a lot of very positive response about the show. Everywhere in the nation, mm-hmm. there's people that recognize us and mm-hmm. come up and say, Hey, I love your show. In fact, driving, we went down to Camden Yards last night just to talk to some people and, you know, talk about sports in Baltimore. And one of the traffic cops comes up to me and says, "Hey, I got my rider this morning. I love the show. <laughs> Keep it up you know so that it, it it's amazing oh, you awesome. the outreach that our show has achieved you know we're not we're not competing with twenty four yet that was yet
4: okay. <laughs> but but we
3: are we're reaching a very diverse audience yeah. and mm-hmm. it's, it's cool to see that, and you know we talked about how World Footprints is a multi-award winning show. Let me tell you, American Ride has gotten a couple of Emmys for our episodes that, that, that make uh, it, it different.
4: Uh, it, 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 it
3: ain't about Stan, it's about yeah. our stories. Yeah. It's about all the people in our crew that do the backup work, that help produce it, that make these things possible. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, last weekend, I went down to a, a, a meeting. It's the National Coalition of Motorcyclists. And this is as diverse a group as you can find. Yeah. You know, there's bikers from just about every stripe, every walk of life, every ethnicity. And they come together to discuss what political things do we need to lobby about to protect huh. you know, our right to, to ride and, and the things that are important to the motorcycle community. And they, they gave us a Silver Spoke Award, which okay. means that... We created a positive image about the motorcycling culture in America. Mm-hmm. Which you know, that was great. That's beautiful. To get that kind of, of, of recognition from, you know, those people right? that's Absolutely. neat. Not that they're those people, but you know, <laughs> okay, biker trash. That, but no, they're not. They're yeah. they're great guys. There's doctors, lawyers, mechanics, mm-hmm. farmers, you know, guys that work in every industry, uh, in, in in every aspect. There's ladies that bike that are there talking about how important it is. And it's neat to see a grassroots type of movement in American politics. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, we, with seven seasons, you know, doing this here in and out, you've seen a lot of this country more so than most of us have seen in our lifetime. And, you know, you said there's some places where you travel where you can actually hear things. You, you can either hear history, you can hear things within your soul. What's, what are those places for you?
3: Wow. You know, um, there, there's many places that if you can get quiet and reflective mm-hmm. enough, mm-hmm. it'll speak to your heart. Yeah. And you, know, you don't have to necessarily be a person of faith, You just have to be a person that's introspective enough right. to be quiet. You know, and and just let that place. Remember to your heart, mm-hmm. because it does.
1: And what are those places for you? It
3: is. Well, Independence Hall is definitely yeah. one. Okay. You know, and and the work that went on there that really laid the groundwork for all freedom for all people.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. And again, reaching out to other nations, because if it does, if it applies only to Americans, then we didn't do our job. Mm-hmm. It's got to apply to everyone, yeah. everywhere. Agency is a gift that we've been given and it's the hope of everyone mm-hmm. that they can have that same opportunity to to have the right to life and liberty right. and to be able to pursue their happiness according to the dictates of their own mind and heart. Mm-hmm. Valley Forge is a place where, you know, it remembers. It remembers what happened. It remembers the sacrifice mm-hmm. that was made. Even though no battle was ever fought there. You know, yeah. the men and women at that time, the family followed the soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know that they, they're remembered there.
4: Yeah.
3: Gettysburg okay. is a place that that yeah. remembers deeply yeah, in yeah. the yeah. tragedy of a nation divided, yeah. and the, the dignity of men that fought and died mm-hmm. for their beliefs.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you've also said, you know, what you're doing is about storytelling, and you've uncovered numerous stories. Is there one that has been insightful or provocative to
3: you? Know, I, I found that because one person sees a historical truth one way, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that the alternative point of view is necessarily incorrect. You know, just two people can watch one event, right. both explain it differently, and they're both right. So I, I found that as we went through the period that many people call the Civil War, and some call the war for southern independence, you know, there's, there's points of view that, well, standing on the battlefield of Shiloh, I was able to talk to the grandchildren mm-hmm. of two of the participants, one a Union soldier and one a Confederate soldier, and as they spoke together and remembered, that battlefield brought healing and unity to those men,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: that was an amazing thing to observe.
1: That it was. You know, the last time we talked as well, you uh, talked about a different direction that the show was going to go in, and you were going to create a segment called American Moments, which were stories that you filmed that didn't necessarily go in the show itself, um, but was, you know, added to the show. Are there any stories um, that you've uncovered from the people that you've spoken to that have really resonated with you?
3: You know, speaking with, with a lot of people, um, they have insights about stories that are important to them. We've gotten letters from the uh, actually from the Navajo Tribal Council wanting us to talk about, you know, the the code talkers
4: mm-hmm. and
3: which was interesting to hear from them. We've gotten people that have written us wanting to hear more about the Spanish exploration mm-hmm. which we're doing in, in this episode. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun to do and in American moments there are segments that we simply haven't been able to mm-hmm. To put in because unfortunately the show is only 24 minutes and 55 seconds, (laughs) and you can watch it every Monday night at 9 p.m. on BYUtv, or catch all 77 episodes at (laughs) byutv.org/slash American Right. But we have so much fun creating these things, and you know there are stories, and there'll be more forthcoming. Mm -hmm. And I hope people will be engaged in being Americans because the greatest responsibility and the greatest work of citizenship is citizenship being involved. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you want to be on. Get involved. Let your voice be heard.
1: You know, you're a beautiful ambassador uh, for this country, for us. Um, We love what you do, and we thank you very much for spending time with us, for including us in your show. So we look forward to uh, even seeing our faces. I look forward to
4: spending
3: more time with you guys.
1: Thank you, because you know, you. there are a ton of stories that we still yet, un- uh, yet uncovered from you, so we need to get, uncover the uh, fill the layers back a little bit more yeah, but, next time. That's right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that. Thank you so much. Appreciate our you pleasure. guys. Thank you.
1: After the break, it's off to Louisiana for a tour of the iconic Oak Alley Plantation.
5: And of course, they're used prepared by this place. And at that time, they were cooking over an open plate. And it is one of the reasons that the kitchen was never attached to the big house. But there was a second reason for that, in that it also kept the heat out of the home as well.
1: Next, as World Footprints continues.
2: Hi, I'm Alex from Baltimore, Maryland. And Tanya and Ian brought me to Baltimore by listening to World Footprints Radio.
7: Do you like to solve puzzles? Have you ever read a book? Well, it's time to start. The book with the world's biggest million-dollar twist is available now. Maze of Keys is a thriller with a game built into the story. All you have to do is go to mazeofkeys.com, buy the book, solve the puzzle, and you could be the lucky reader who wins millions. Go now to mazeofkeys.com. That's mazeofkeys.com.
8: More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year, illegally. Poaching is just one of the risks animals face at our hands. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor. I grew up in the beautiful rural countryside of Ohio, where animals roamed freely in the open forests. I have a deep concern to help preserve those open spaces for our wildlife friends so they can live and thrive like they used to. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife, to preserve natural habitats, and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800 729s save Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you.
1: Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick.
2: And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick.
1: A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints.
2: World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives.
1: Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information.
2: World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tonya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors, and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals.
6: My father had prostate cancer. My grandfather, two great uncles, died from it. I wish I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. I had my prostate removed in May of 1995, and I'm still here. So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is number one, get it checked. Secondly. You have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, go talk with your doctor, and make some decisions. Because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated, you know.
9: Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your health care provider about your options and visit ProstateCancerDecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters.
0: In times like these, violence in our schools is a reality, so it's important to know what to do if a dangerous situation arises and also how to prevent it. Kids, never bring a weapon to school, and if you see a student with one or even hear someone talking about having a weapon, report it immediately. If something doesn't seem right or look right to you, speak up. If someone you know is showing signs of anger or if you are feeling out of control, tell someone. If you feel threatened or bullied, tell someone. Violent acts often start out as small disagreements. Tell a parent or teacher if you see an argument taking place. It's better to let someone know about a disagreement before it gets out of hand. Let's put an end to these tragedies. Ask your school to adopt an anti-violence program. Visit ncpc.org to learn more about how to keep your school safe. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council.
2: Human trafficking is the fastest-growing criminal industry in the world. One of the greatest myths is that human trafficking is only a third-world problem, but neither education, wealth, age, race, nor social standing protects one from becoming a victim of human trafficking. Awareness and action are key to fighting this crime against humanity. To report human trafficking or to learn more, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-3737-888. Collectively, we can put an end to human trafficking one step at a time.
3: Destination Imagination is an extraordinary after-school program in creativity and teamwork for every child. In fact, Destination Imagination could be the most important journey your kid makes this year or any year. Parents and teachers, start a Destination Imagination team by calling 888-321-1503. Or visit DestinationImagination.org. That's DestinationImagination.org.
9: Hi, I'm Callie Schultz from the great city of New Orleans, and you're listening to World Footprints Radio. We can't wait to see you in New Orleans very soon.
0: You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick.
2: Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Called the Grand Dame of Plantations of Louisiana's Great River Road, Oak Alley Plantation in Vacherie, Louisiana, midway between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, harkens back to a bygone southern era when a powerful Creole family built a great fortune on the back of slaves. Amid the splendor of its 300-year-old oak trees, this plantation has stood the test of time, and now its stories have been preserved for all to see and hear, as we discovered on a visit to Louisiana with the help of Oak Alley docent Cindy Ordineau.
5: Today I'm going to share with you the story of Jacques and Selena Ramon. They are the family that actually built the home that we know as Oak Alley today. Jacques and Selena's story starts in the year of 1834 when they were married at the St. Louis Cathedral in the city of New Orleans. Um, Jacques was 34 years old, Selina was 18, quite a bit different in their age. But there was another difference in Jacques and Selina. Selina's family lived in the city of New Orleans all of her life. She was used to the city life. She enjoyed the activities and the entertainment and the convenience of the shopping. Jacques's family was quite the opposite. Jacques's father, a very prosperous French Creole sugarcane plantation owner. Jacques had lived on the plantation as a young boy. He also had other relatives who had plantations as well. He was very familiar with the plantation life out here in the country. Now so when Jacques and Selina first married, they did live in the city of New Orleans. And after a few years of marriage, they acquired this plantation from Jacques' brother-in-law. When they acquired it, it was a working sugarcane plantation. 1,200 acres, there was a sugar cane crop growing in the field. He had a working sugar mill on site of the plantation. He had 57 slaves, and the beautiful oaks to the front of the home were here almost 100 years before he actually took possession of the plantation. Now, once Jacques got the plantation up and running, he decided this was going to be their home. Jacques and Selena would build a beautiful Greek Revival mansion and plantation. It would take them two and a half years to do so. It was done under the instruction of a gentleman by the name of George Sweeney, and it was constructed by the slaves owned by Jacques. But there were times during construction that they would even hire slaves from nearby plantations to help out. Now most of the material that they needed to construct the home, they could find locally. The mantel's pieces, they're really made from the cypress, which was already here on the plantation, but they wanted it to look elegant and rich, so they painted it to appear to be marble, formal or fake marble, and the baseboards constructed the same way. The door is made out of cypress, but painted to appear to be mahogany, to give it a richer finish. Now also, the bricks and the mortar used to construct the home, which means the ex- exterior wall as well as the interior wall and the 28 columns outside the home, made from the clay of the Mississippi River. Now before the home could be completed, they did have to import the slate roofing as well as the glass window. And in addition to that, Jacques also imported Italian marble flooring, which was installed into this room, the parlor as well as the dining room. Now the home was completed in the year of 1839, and that is when Jacques and Selena moved on to the plantation. And of course, when they first moved here, they were very anxious to show it off to family and friends, many of them coming to visit young Southern ladies. And of course, at that time, paid a lot of attention to the Southern ladies' reputation. Of course, she traveled, she was either traveling with her family or with the chaperone. And if she happened to have a date while visiting Jacques and Céline, of course, the chaperone stayed with her throughout the evening. But at that time, they also believed that they used what was known as a quarter's candle. Usually, this was set by the father of the young lady. And the young gentleman would have had to ask her father's permission to have the honor of courting or dating his daughter. And if that young gentleman impressed the young lady's father, well, he would raise the height of this candle extremely high. <laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't make quite the right impression, and the young lady's father thought, not quite the right match. Maybe she needs to look a little bit more. Of course, he started to lower the height of the candle. Now, they all knew the height of the candle determined how long the date would be for the evening and whether the candle started high or low. When the candle burned down to the arm of the holder, of course, that was the time that the date ended. He had to tell the young lady goodbye and, of course, be on his way. <clears throat> if there happens to be someone in your life who might need help courting, they do sell these at the concession stand. <laughs> <laughs> now, Doc and Selina did greet all of their guests here in the parlor, but entertained them to delicious meals in the dining room. Before I take you into the dining room, I do want to mention the picture of the gentleman often inside. He came to visit Jacques and Selena quite often, Jacques's older brother, Andre the Avenue Ramon, but everyone knew his brother as A.B. He twice served as the governor of the state of Louisiana, and I'll tell you a little bit more about Jacques' brother, how he helped him out as we go on with the story.
1: Here we learn why the kitchen where the slaves cooked was not attached to the main house.
5: And of course their meals were prepared by the slaves. And at that time they were cooking over an open plate. And it is one of the reasons that the kitchen was never attached to the big house. But there was a second reason for that in that it also kept the heat out of the home as well.
2: People from this era were short in stature compared to today, and the size of the furniture reflected
6: this.
5: And the table that we are looking at is uh, very similar to one that would have been in the room when Jacques and lived here on the plantation. It is made out of mahogany and is 16 feet long. But as you look at the height of the table, you may have noticed it is quite lower than what we have become accustomed to. And that's because in the early 1800s, the average height of the French Creole gentleman five feet, four inches tall. The ladies were about five feet tall. So the furniture was constructed for the comfort of the people at that time. You may have also noticed that the silverware is made down. Again, this was a tradition at that time because Chuck and Selena's silverware was actually made from sterling silver. The back of each piece Would have been engraved with shop conditions. And if you look at the size of this silverware, a little bit larger than what we're used to using today. Well, the size of the dinnerware was also an indication of the wealth of the plantation owner.
1: Plantation life was tough for slaves as well as the slave owners. Yellow fever took its toll on the family that ran the plantation.
5: The bed in this room actually referred to as the rolling pin bed. You'll see the rolling pin displayed on the mattress. Now their mattresses were stuffed with bandage moss and after you slept on it, it did flatten out quite a bit. So when the slaves came in in the morning to make up the bed, they did use the rolling pin to start leaning on the mattress, trying to get the height and the fluff back into it. And then the rolling pin was used to level it all off. And then finally, they were ready to make up the bed for the next night's sleep. But there were times when this room was also used as a six room for an isolation room. Unfortunately, the insects did carry a lot of diseases at that time, they didn't have the access to medications and the doctors that we have today. Jacques was very fortunate in that he did have a contract with Dr. Marie, and most of the time, he was at St. Joseph Plantation. But if they had to wait for medications to be brought in from the city of New Orleans, coming on a single to this plantation took at least one day's travel. So they tried to isolate the person who was ill, hoping to prevent the spread of the disease until they got the proper medical attention. Unfortunately, if a member of the family passed away, the room was also used as the morning room or viewing room. They had no funeral. When it was the morning room, the mattress was removed, replaced with the board, and then it was draped with a black fabric, and the body was viewed for a very limited time by family and very close friends. The room that you're going to view, which is going to be to the right of the stairs, this is the nursery that was shared by Jacques Selena's children. Now they did have six children, three girls and three boys. And in the French Creole home at that time, it was common for brothers and sisters to share the same bedroom. Until the young gentlemen were about the age of 14 or 15, then they no longer slept in the nursery. They started to sleep in a little cottage that was located to the front of the plantation, it's referred to as a bossier or gentleman's cottage. But you'll also notice in the nursery there is a chair positioned about in the middle of the room, and that chair was there for the use of the night lady. Yes, there was a slave that stayed awake every night to watch over these children. Most nights she made certain that she had a room kept close by because if she had to open the windows or doors, there were no screens to prevent animals from coming into the home. Now it could have been a squirrel that came in, but it could have been a rat. just to say. One of our responsibilities was to make certain that the animals were removed so the children's sleep was uninterrupted. And you'll also notice in the nursery, they have two pieces of furniture with the green ribbons attached. One is a Lynn chair, and right next to the little chair is a doll on These two pieces of furniture actually owned by a member of
2: their family. The Cajun culture is unique. One of the traditions we learn of is the tradition of the unfinished panels in a Cajun home.
5: Now off to this side we also have what's known as the unfinished panels. This was a French Creole tradition where the owner of the home designed their name, it's our first signature, a Jacques signature. It's dated 1837, 38, and 39. Those are the years the home was, was constructed. Dominique's job signature, or some of the other owners, and also some of the people who actually worked on the home. To Entry to this side is actually the construction company that helped to renovate the home when it was purchased by the steward. Now the bedroom to the left of the hallway, our master bedroom. I do want to point out to you that the medallion on the ceiling of the master bedroom is original to the home. It was carved by hand, and it's made from our hair and The beautiful bed that you see in the bedroom, believed to be from the West Indies, referred to as a pineapple bed. You notice the carvings on that bed do resemble Pineapple. When guests arrived to visit Jacques and Selena, they were usually offered a freshly sliced pineapple as um, seen when they were greeted as a form of refreshment. Pineapples were used as a welcoming at that time, and they still use pineapple to welcome people to this day. Now you notice on their breakfast tray, there's a whole uncut pineapple. That was a polite way of letting their guests know that I'm glad you came to visit that you go for stage, you're welcome. It's time for you to pack up, travel on, and take the pineapple with you as you continue on with your journey.
1: One of the most notable rooms in Oak Alley is the Lavender Room. Here's the backstory behind that name.
5: As you look through the doorway of the lavender bedroom, the portrait that you are looking at, this is Josephine Armstrong-Stewart. She is the last person to have lived on the plantation, and she's also the person who lived here the longest. She lived here for 46 years. Now I'll tell you a little bit more about Mrs. Stewart. First, I do want to introduce you to Jacques and Selena's family. As you look at the pictures on this wall, you probably recognize Jacques and Selena from the first room. As you look at the pictures of their six children, notice three silhouettes. Unfortunately, Jacques and Selena had three children that died before the age of 12. At that time, very common. Yeah, they didn't have the medications in the doctors we have today. Their son, Albert, died at the age of two, and within two weeks, their son, George died at the age of Chepanso. They believed their son died from yellow fever. And their daughter, Marie, would die from tuberculosis, right before her 12th birthday. Now Jacques loved plantation life, but unfortunately, he was not the healthiest person. He did not go back into the city very often, but Jacques himself contracted suburban He died here at the age of 48 in the year of 1848. Now, when Jacques was living here on the plantation, he was rather successful. He did make a lot of money, but the death of Jacques would be the, the beginning of the downfall of this plantation. Now, when Jacques passed away, Selena was in the city with her children. She also had family that lived there, and Selena's mother had passed away. So she would be called into the city to try to help raise her brothers and sisters, who were about the same age as her children. But when Jacques passed away, Selena knew she would be returning to the plantation. You now, because at that time their only surviving son Haure was only nine years old, he was not ready to take over the family business. So that was fault of Selena but Jacques was very well aware of the fact that Selina was never educated on the business side of plantation life. He knew that she didn't enjoy spending money and that she knew the plantations uh, made a lot of money, but he knew she was a lady of her time, so the ladies never attended formal education. So in his will, Jacques appointed his brother, A.B., the brother which had served as the governor, to oversee the finances of his estate at the time of Jacques' death. And his brother took his on willingly. He took the time to set up many budgets, trying to explain to Selena that he thought this would be the best way for the plantation to continue on successfully. But Selena and uh, A.B. did the eye to eye on quite a few things, and Selena had never lived on a budget before, another change in her life. She didn't adhere to using the budget, and quite often she was overspending. So, after a year or so of frustration, A.B. and Selena went to court, and and A.B. was removed from that responsibility. So, so Selena ran the plantation for about 11 here. And though she did not do a very good job of it, and she was constantly overspending, and this was during the time that she lost her daughter, the death of her third child, her spending seemed to increase. In the meantime, their son Henri had gone away to college, but when her son turned 20, which was in 1859, he came back to the plantation to take over the management. He was very well aware of what was happening in his absence. And for two years, AB ran his plantation successfully. He'd even started to pay off the family debt. Unfortunately, 1861, and the South entered into the Civil War. And once that happened, their lives and the finances in this area changed drastically. Henri would try several ways to hold on to his family's plantation. But of course, at the end of the war, with the South losing the war, he had back taxes to pay, also the family debt. He wasn't able to hold on to <laughs> his plantation. On March the 12th of 1866, Henri would turn everything over to the predators. The 1,200 acres their beautiful homes, and most of his family's possessions including the family furniture. And that's why we don't have trouble with furniture. Mm. One of the reasons. Mm. So, after this happened, about two days after this, Selena passed away. Selena died at the age of 50, and they believed it was com- complications of pneumonia. And on December 15th of 1866, the plantation was sold at a public auction. It $32,800. That's approximately $482,000 today. It did not pay off the family debt. Their three uh, remaining children kind of had to start their lives over again. But about a year after they lost the plantation, their daughter Octave died at the age of 30. We do not know the causes of her death. We know she had married, left behind a husband and three children. Her married name was Buchanan. And then their son, Henri. He did several odd jobs in the area for a while, but then eventually he married, and he ended up living in the city of Bay St. Louis in Mississippi. And their oldest daughter Louise, she became a Carmelite nun. She left, she went to the city of St. Louis to study there. About 10 years later, she would return to the city of New Orleans. She helped them to establish the Carmelite nun coventry in the city, and she actually served as their mother's superior. And the Carmelite nuns was still active in the area today. When well, I once they left the plantation, ownership changed about five or six times. Most of those owners wanted the sugar cane in the rich soil. To many of them, the house was an expense. There was a time when the home became abandoned. Cattle came into the home seeking shelter from a rainstorm. As I mentioned to you, originally, beautiful marble floors. But once the cattle came to visit, they stayed for several years. And in 1925, when a very wealthy couple living in New Orleans would come to visit this plantation, they fell in love with it. Mr. and Mrs. Andrew Stewart would purchase this plantation for $50,000. Yes, it was in need of renovation. And the marble floors was one of the things that had to be replaced. As I said, they added bathrooms and closets. They also added electricity once it was completed this became their home and they never lived anywhere else they spent the remainder of their lives here on this plantation unfortunately mr andrews passed away in the year of 1946 and at that time mrs stewart was overcome with memories and grief she knew she couldn't stay in her master bedroom any longer too many memories she decided she was going to move and she did across the hallway into the Lavender Room. She wasn't leaving her plantation. She loves living here too much. Lavender Room is the only room in the home not brought back to the 1800s. We have left it the way Mrs. Stewart designed it with her furniture, her personal belongings. And as I said, the portrait that you look at through the doorway, that is Mrs. Stewart in her mid-30s. She lived here until the age of 93. She died on the morning of October the 3rd of 1972 at 7.30 in the morning. clocks were stopped at 7.30 in her honor. Now before Mrs. Stewart passed away, she knew she wanted to make certain this house would never be lost or abandoned. So before her death, she helped to establish the non-profit Oakley Foundation.
2: Oak trees from Virginia some 300 years ago provided the inspiration for the plantation's name.
5: One of my favorite parts of the is sharing the oak with the 28 Virginia live oaks. Now they believe the oaks were planted in the early 1700s by a French settler, but we do not know the name of the person. Now there are 14 oaks on each side, 80 feet between each tree, and the alley is one quarter of a mile. The levee ahead of us today is maintained by the Army Corps of Engineers, but when Jacques and Selena lived on the plantation, each plantation owner was responsible to maintain the levee in front of their property. And of course that was done by slave labor. Now most of the levees at that time were about five feet high. Standing where we are standing today, we could have watched the riverboats travel to the Mississippi River.
7: Do now, you like to solve river, puzzles?
5: Have you, you ever read a book? Well, it's time
7: Oaks, to start. They knew the book with exactly the World's Biggest, biggest million, million Dollar, dollar twist, twist is available now. Oh. Maze of, the of the Keys is a thriller with a game built in into the, the story. The All you have to do is go to mazeofkeys.com buy the book, solve the puzzle, and you could be the lucky reader who wins millions. Go now to maizeofkeys.com. That's maizeofkeys.com. Thank you very much for being
2: with us today on World Footprint.
7: I'm glad you enjoyed it.
1: Coming up, we'll catch up with actor Hal Holbrook on the eve of his documentary premiere, Holbrook Twain, An American Odyssey.
6: Well, I am, I have impersonated Twain since 1954, it was my first time out but it really didn't start working at it a lot till 1956. Next as World Footprints continues.
5: Hi my name is Elaine and I'm from California and I like World Footprints Radio.
7: Do you like to solve puzzles? Have you ever read a book? Well it's time to start. The book with the world's biggest million dollar twist is available now. Maze of Keys is a thriller with a game built into the story. All you have to do is go to mazeofkeys.com, buy the book, solve the puzzle, and you could be the lucky reader who wins millions. Go now to mazeofkeys.com. That's mazeofkeys.com.
2: Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. One of the greatest myths is that human trafficking is only a third world problem but neither education, wealth, age, race, nor social standing protects one from becoming a victim of human trafficking. Awareness and action are key to fighting this crime against humanity. To report human trafficking or to learn more, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-3737-888. Collectively, we can put an end to human trafficking one step at a time. Did you know that World of Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make WorldFootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services.
9: In times like these, it's important to know the facts about sexual assault. Rape and sexual assault are acts of violence that can happen to anyone. Most victims know their attacker. It can be a boyfriend, husband, co-worker, or even a family member. But there are ways to protect yourself. Using common sense can help keep you safe. Stay away from people that use anger as a means of control. Travel in well-lighted busy areas and avoid known trouble spots. If you find yourself in a potentially dangerous situation, report any assault to the police immediately. Seek medical attention. The sooner you tell someone, the sooner you can get help, and the better chance of the attacker being apprehended. Awareness, education, and communication are the keys to prevention. Learn how to protect yourself from acts of sexual assault or what to do if you become a victim. Visit ncpc.org for more straight talk about sexual assault. That's ncpc.org.
0: A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council.
7: Hi, this is James K. from Los Angeles, California. And I just want to say, I've traveled all over the world. But whenever I come back
2: home, I always tune in to World Footprints Radio.
0: And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick.
1: Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. We were honored to spend time with acting legend Hal Holbrook on the eve of the premiere of the documentary Holbrook Twain, American Odyssey which chronicles Holbrook's portrayal of Mark Twain for more than a half century. Directed by Scott Teen. this documentary inspired by Hal's late wife, actress Dixie Carter, Holbrook brings to life the profound insights Twain had into the human condition for audiences the world over, as well as the toll it had on his family life. Hal Holbrook joins us to talk about this powerful documentary that sheds light on his life, through the portrayals of Twain. Hi, Hi, Mr. You? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by World Footprints today.
6: You're welcome.
1: So, what has Mark Twain meant to you all of these
6: years? Uh, more and more, from the beginning, the... he strikes me as the only person, almost, that I ever met who tells the truth. And... uh when you get into the world of uh, not just politics, but uh, important people, mm-hmm. uh, Mark T- Mark Twain is the only person I, I, I can refer to who tells the truth and doesn't uh, lie to us
4: mm-hmm. about, it.
6: about ourselves,
4: mm-hmm.
6: about our country, about how we behave. How we treat each other and who we really are, and what our relationship is with god
1: you've played Mark Twain for many many years
6: well i am I have impersonated Twain since nineteen fifty four was my first time out, but I really didn't start working at it a lot till nineteen fifty six but i've toured every uh every year uh I've toured the country from coast to coast. Uh, And that is somewhere close to 60 years, I think. And uh, I have played every single uh, state and every practically every town, large and small, mostly small, uh, in the United States. And uh, I started out not knowing very much about our country. And in the course of traveling all around and listening to people, trying to... uh, make them think. Uh, I have uh, certainly found out that not everybody thinks the same way in New Mexico that they do in uh, in Vermont, and that we all have different ideas, and a lot of them are uh, ridiculous. <laughs> Here, Hal speaks about his late wife,
2: Dixie Carter, whose idea it was to do this documentary
6: oh i'm happy uh frankly i'm amazed you know uh i'm uh, I'm just amazed you know this was my wife Dixie's idea mm-hmm. this idea to do a documentary was Dixie's idea years ago quite quite a few years before she passed away and uh she talked to Scott teams who <laughs> directed about doing it, and so after she passed away uh he decided to uh to do it. You're Laura, and they, they, and frankly, I'm, uh, I'm. But we put it together little bits and pieces. They catch me here, catch me here, Sacramento, Laredo, wherever they catch me.
1: Being an actor comes at a price. Hal speaks to the toll his career had on his life and his family.
6: Well, wow. actors try very hard to tell the truth about themselves and about people that they portray that's our job to tell the truth and I think what we try to do in this film is tell the truth about what it's like to work as an this long, what it costs other people in your family in your children and everything else mm-hmm. there's a message behind
2: any film here, Hal Holbrook talks about an understanding he hopes that comes from this
6: film an understanding <laughs> what here? just an understanding
5: <laughs>
6: yeah, I think a little you- bit little bit more understanding of uh what people are like and the film doesn't really bring it out. I was talking to somebody last night mentioning you know. I don't think people realize I'm not just picking up a book and reading Mark Twain I have taken pieces of Mark Twain here, 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 here edited them together to create this show this show is not like people think oh he's doing a show of Mark Twain no I'm not I'm doing everything he said everything in the show is what he said it's a quote sometimes I have to think of words or something to join stuff together or a phrase, but it's Mark Twain. So there has been a, uh, what you could grandly call a very large amount of scholarship in putting this show together, because I have uh, not just read everything he's done, but I have poured through it all and tried to find stuff more and more in the last number of years, stuff that will speak to what's going on in our lives, particularly uh when it gets to politics and religion and the horrible ways that people use it to uh either tell lies to themselves or to the public, and as I said, I think a while ago, the thing that I I always feel good about what Mark trains. I I think I'm I'm dealing with somebody who's telling you the truth. You know the amazing thing is just that see the amazing thing I don't update. I have never from the beginning I made a decision. I never I never never changed it. I never have updated this man. I never have updated his material. And I'm so glad I never did because people try to make oh do you do it with no I never did. It, the guy has died in 1910, the guy you're looking at is, you know, he's talking a hundred and twenty-five years ago. And the, and the interesting thing is, what he's saying, because I have put stuff out, put it together, put it together, but what he's saying, <laughs>
4: it's in the headlines. It's
6: on the stupid television. Yeah. Yeah. It's happening now all over again and we're too dumb to do anything about it excuse me for getting excited but.
4: <laughs> well
1: it's been a blessing to meet you and i would certainly love to have you on our show for a longer our show called world footprint uh-huh. for a longer interview thank um you. after the uh after the event tonight
6: thank you thank you very much thank you
1: Thank you so much for joining us for today's World Footprints radio show. All of our shows are archived on our website, so if you've missed a show or you want to hear our World Footprints travel report giving you the day's breaking travel and world news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, subscribe to our newsletter and click on any social media icon to follow us on your favorite social network at World Footprints. Also, now you can listen to World footprints on iHeartRadio. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time.
5: Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Bath National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio, because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio.
2: This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, All Rights Reserved.